Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. The other big area that the, what I call the transnational capital class, the global investor class, that they are investing in now in the face of stagnation in the global economy, in the face of this overaccumulation crisis, is in the global police state. They're investing in systems of transnational social control and repression and warfare. There is a war raging in Ukraine right now. It is a tragedy for the people of Ukraine, well, for the people of uh, Russia as well. It's a tragedy for the world's people. Today on American Indian Airwaves, part two of Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic by William I. Robinson, a brand new book that is a big picture synthesis of global capitalism in a deep state crisis that is cascading social and political conflict all over Mother Earth, impacting indigenous peoples and their respective First Nations, and highlights the implications for the future. All that and more here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone And we want to remind listeners that KPFK is presently in fun drive mode. And we want to ask all of you to continue your support with us here on American Indian Airwaves and KPFK and all the volunteer staff, administrators and programmers that bring you marginalized voices, that bring you voices from uh, the front lines, that bring you voices from indigenous nations throughout Mother Earth and as our way of helping and our way of saying thank you if you can support and do support us here on American Indian Airwaves. We are offering a brand new book by William Robinson. It's titled Global Civil War Capitalism Post-Pandemic. It is a $100 thank you item that you can pick up. This is not the global police state as we offer before. This book focuses on the global civil war post the COVID-19 pandemic and how the political and economic systems have structured not only a global capitalist and political feudal system, a global feudal system, if you will, but how the pandemic has amplified and intensified the vast political and economic inequities and how the rise of digitalization has really transformed global capitalism in new ways, right? Capitalism has been restructured in a way where we see the advancement of digitalization of the global economy and American society. And of course, being in, on lockdowns, uh, not only in the United States, but throughout the world, it has allowed those in power, the trans- 
brands, capital class, if you will, to exercise even greater power and consolidate greater power. And William Robinson just does a very succinct, copious job of outlining where we are in a global civil war with capitalism post-pandemic. It's a brand new book. It's a $100 thank you item. We want to encourage all of you to pick it up. For $100, you can visit the kpfk.org website and select on a premium item, uh, pick up Global Civil War for $100. Or you can become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by agreeing to pledge and make a monthly dollar denomination of your choice for being a KPFK Sustainer Circle member. You can call 818-985-KPFK or 818-985-5735. And we want to encourage you during these trying times to support KPFK and the marginalized voices that we bring here on American Indian Airwaves and volunteer programmers bring to KPFK. In just a few moments, we're going to hear part two of our interview with William Robinson on his brand new book, Marcus? Larry, you're so, you're so right. You know, I think this book that we're offering as a thank you is Global Civil Wars. And I looked at that title and going, holy moly, if you will. But this stuff, it talks about what no one's talking about now. Native people are not talking about it. The United population is not talking about it. But just like Tuscumsah and many other of our leaders, what's the big picture? That's what we're trying to get at American Indian Airways. We're over the radio. We focus on Native American frontline fighters. And well, what's the big picture? And that's what this book and what, what William I. Robinson does is, is it outlines this big picture. And he states what this radical political economy is go beyond what the government's talking about or the think tank Rand Corporation, you go down the line right wing or even left wing, talking about this political economy that makes some sense so everybody can understand it and understand the big picture. Now, what's so interesting because you finally realize a system that is breaking down, what he states, Larry, is since the Second World War International Order. And there's a lot to that. This read takes you down the path of this rapid political polarization in global society since 2008. We talked about that, Larry, and how 2008, even the pandemic, and even our interviews of people with the frontline struggles in the healthcare system, within treaty rights, within the employment, within sovereignty, and within the future about Native nations, per se, are under a challenge, economic and political and social challenge, where a lot of the Native people are living outside the reservation and more so into the rural and urban areas, particularly, the, I mean, excuse me, the urban areas in which medical care, employment, how, you know, the healthcare system, the educational system, you go down the line that our last interview about the penal system, you know, industrial conflicts, you know, about how that affects us Native nations. And we, this book talks about this big picture, the struggle about to combat the rise of neo-fascism, which he talks about 
and what that means to us within the frontline struggles, whether it be Oak Flats, whether it be the um, struggle within within Nevada, Utah, Standing Rock area, the struggle in Canada, and all the Atlantic and the Louisiana pipelines. All that gives you tools to work with and understand. And I think, Larry, I want you to comment on that because you always talk about the, about the uh, this topic, digitalized dictatorship he talks about. Well, thank you, Marcus. But we want to give listeners the opportunity to hear from the author himself, William Robinson, on his brand new book, Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic, which listeners can pick up as a $100 thank you premium item by calling 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or visiting the kpfk.org website and clicking on the KPFK Pledge widget and picking up the book there. So Marcus, last week we ran part one of this three-part interview with the author, William Robinson, on the global civil war, capitalism post-pandemic. And now we want to play part two in this first of two segments we're going to run on today's program of William Robinson on the global civil war, capitalism post-pandemic. William, you stated in the book, that this book is about the world that is emerging in the wake of the plague. Talk about that. Do a little teaser for our listeners. There's a lot. I love the book because of the fact that you have researched and you put out, um, you have exposed, you might say, the amount of this polarization of wealth and power and deprivation and misery. Talk about that for our listeners. Absolutely. Well, let me first say something about the crisis and then get right into that, right into into that. Um, Global capitalism is in deep crisis. I actually think it's the worst crisis in the entire history of this 500 plus year system. And we have to be clear that the pandemic did not cause the crisis, but it greatly intensified it. And and it's a multidimensional crisis. One, of course, is economic or structural. I want to talk about that. Uh, But another is a crisis of, of state legitimacy and of capitalist hegemony. The third dimension of the crisis, of course, is ecological, which means that it is an existential crisis for humanity and for that matter for life on the planet. But it's also a crisis, uh, a social crisis. Uh, for billions of people who are increasingly cannot survive in this global capitalist system. Now, when billions of people cannot survive, they've been made surplus humanity, marginalized, thrown into the margins. That's not necessarily a problem for the ruling groups, for the rich and the powerful, unless this mass of humanity that cannot survive in the system rise up in rebellion. And that is going on. That's why the book is titled Global Civil War. This global revolt is a big theme of the story here. And when these the masses rise up in rebellion, therefore, it's a crisis now for the ruling groups um, uh, as, as well. Um, so even before going into the pandemic, we had unprecedented levels of global inequality. This data is now well known that 1% of humanity and that 1% of humanity is led by, I'm just looking at a piece of paper in front of me to get the exact uh, figure, is led by some 35 million millionaires and some 2,400 billionaires. That's less than 1%. It's about 0.01% of humanity controls 52% of the world's wealth. 
20% of humanity, we can say it's that portion of humanity that can survive in global capitalism, controls 95% of the world's wealth. That means that 80% of humanity has only 5% of the world's uh, wealth. And so what happened with these extreme levels of inequality, they became much more pronounced, even deepened further by the pandemic. And as digitalization deepens and moves forward, so here I want to talk at some point in the interview on the restructuring taking place through digitalization. The, this digitalized restructuring will only deepen further these already unbelievable and historically unprecedented levels of inequality. Um, I'm just give me one second. I just want to grab the um, piece of paper I have here that that, uh, that that indicates the extent to which these inequalities already intensified during the. Uh, during the pandemic itself. And um, here it is, excuse me just a moment, I have so many notes in front of me, but um, here it is. The, in the United States, um, the billionaire class increased its wealth by $931 billion just from March to October of 2020. That's the first six months of the pandemic. The rich in the United States increased its wealth by almost a trillion dollars, while 60 million workers lost their job, thrust into poverty, hunger, and homelessness. But worldwide, worldwide, the billionaire's wealth increased by 27% in those first six months of the pandemic to $10.2 trillion in the first six months of the uh, pandemic. So while the, the mass of humanity is suffering under this pandemic, not just the health effects of the pandemic, but the mass of spread of impoverishment uh, and, um, and hunger uh, and uh, unemployment and underemployment, the pockets of the rich all around the world were incredibly lined. Uh, price gouging, fraud, racketeering, um, I just want to give one example here in the United States. You, in the United States, private corporate hospitals, and increasingly we have to look, the health care system is not public. Um, we have a, a, a medical industrial complex. The private corporate hospitals in the United States jacked up charges to patients during the pandemic as much as 18 times above cost. And in 2021, the private hospitals reported profits of $100 billion. Let me give another piece of data here. Pfizer's 2021 profit was $81 billion. That compares to its profits in 2018, that is before the pandemic, of only $11 billion. And by the way, to put this in context, let me repeat that just Pfizer, one of these global pharmaceutical corporations that made out like bandits during the pandemic, Pfizer, made up $81 billion in profits. In comparison, total U.S. spending on education that includes federal, state, and local governments was in that year only $124 billion. So one global pharmaceutical corporation made almost as much as entire educational spending in the United States. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with William I. Robinson on his brand new book, Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic. And now back to the interview. Uh, so this is a picture. That's one example. This is the picture 
all over the world. Now, I haven't talked yet. I know I'm talking a lot um, with one single question you've asked me, but I haven't talked yet about this digital restructuring and how the digital restructuring now underway, that is the emerging post-pandemic capitalist paradigm, will only heighten these contradictions. It will heighten inequality. It will heighten the systems of, of global um, social control, and it will aggravate the economic dimensions of the crisis and also even the military dimensions of the crisis. So, so we haven't spoken about that yet, but, but uh, at some point I would love to jump into this, the nature of this digital restructuring. You, I would like to go into that direction too. But however, the, um, before that, you talked about how global capitalism is emerging from the pandemic and in dangerous new phase. And you finally talked about the contradiction within the crisis-ridden system that was before the pandemic. What do you mean by that? Yes. So before the pandemic, and that's why I gave the figures, 1% of humanity controls 52% of the world's wealth, 20% controls uh, 80% of the, of the world's wealth. So what does this mean at an economic uh, level? This is what we call a crisis of overaccumulation. Now, that sounds like a big technical word, but it's really not. It's that the whole... Our whole global economy and society is controlled by capital, by private capital, by the giant um, transnational corporations and, 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 and financial conglomerates um, that run the whole global economy upon which we all depend. And, the, and because of these extreme levels of inequality, the global market cannot absorb the output of the global economy. In other words, we have the capacity to produce all of these things which human beings need, need and want, but 80% of humanity cannot really consume. And so capitalists cannot continue making profit. They're not going to invest in the, in the make investments that, that would be helpful for humanity if they can't make a profit from it. So they turn towards speculation, wild, incredible financial speculation, which destabilizes the whole global economy that led to the 2008 financial collapse a financial collapse which affected billions of people around the world while the banks made off like, like bandits. To give you an idea of the extent of this financial speculation uh, in the face of overaccumulation crisis, the global economy, the entire good, uh, production of goods and services in the world is valued at $75 trillion a year. But financial speculation, just in derivatives, derivatives is a, is a, is a speculative instrument, was a, is a quadrillion dollars. You did hear that right. $75 trillion is the real global economy of goods and services, which we all live in. And just one financial speculative instrument is a quadrillion, quadrillion dollars. So this gives the idea of how the whole global economy is teetering on the brink with this unbelievable financial speculation. Something else as well is that debt levels have never been higher in the history of the world economy. Debt meaning families. And consumers have to increasingly rely on borrowing and on credit cards and extending the day of reckoning simply to consume and survive. But it's also corporate debt and it's government debt around the world. Governments around the world can't pay their bills uh, because of the economic crisis. And so they borrow and that's debt. And this debt is reaching ceilings. We've had debt driven debt driven growth in the global economy since the 2008 financial collapse. It intensifies in 2021 going now into 2000. Uh, 22. And then the other big area which has kept this global economy going in the face of this crisis, which again preceded the pandemic. The pandemic just made it worse. But the pandemic also made the ruling groups more powerful in their ability to control. And we'll get into that with the discussion, of course, of the global um, 
revolt. But let me say the other big area that the, what I call the transnational capitalist class, the global investor class, that they are investing in now in the face of stagnation in the global economy, in the face of this overaccumulation crisis, is in the global police state. They're investing in systems of transnational social control and repression and warfare. There is a war raging in Ukraine right now. It is a tragedy for the people of Ukraine, well, for the people of uh, Russia as well. It's a tragedy for the world's people just as is the, the conflict in Yemen, the aggression against Yemen, et cetera, et cetera. But these conflicts and this new expanding war in Ukraine is wonderful for the ruling groups. That is what they want. They make billions and trillions in profit in the global military, industrial, financial, technological complex, which is at the very core of this emerging post-pandemic capitalist paradigm. And already, the stock of the leading military industrial uh, firms are skyrocketing. And there's, there's going to be, a, there already is underway a surge in military spending around the world. This is what I call in my previous book that you interviewed me on, uh, The Global Police State, and then I retake the theme in the new book, Global Civil War. I call it militarized accumulation, meaning that the transnational capitalist class, the global investor class, they can't make money in other ways, so they make money by expanding wars and conflicts and destruction and repression and systems of social control, whether it's building private prisons or border walls or whether it's funneling um, uh, uh, weapons and, um, and mercenary soldiers to Ukraine. This is, a, this is the cutting edge now of the global economy. You, you pictured, William, the, and you remarked about this book provides a big picture synthesis of global capitalism. And then you talked about the... The conflict, but yet before we get into digitalization, mm -hmm. uh, dictatorship, I wanted to ask you about, and I think it's important because when we talk about the overall scheme of things, we wanted, I wanted to ask you these questions about what did you mean by the breakdown of post-World War II international order? Because I think that, that uh, post-World War II international order was very significant in the global sense. And if we see that the breakdown of that, uh, how was that, uh, how do we translate that into common knowledge and what's so important about that? Sure. So the post-World War II international order wasn't one that anyone democratically decided upon. But so in the whole history of capitalism, we have these 200 and some odd nation states. Of course, I mean, I'm not going to get into, we all know the background, the history of the birth of capitalism and in, in Western Europe and how it expanded outward through colonialism and imperialism and conquest and genocide. I mean, that story we don't need to get into here. But the point is that over these 530 years, in fact, to date, if we, if we date the birth of the world capitalist system to, to 1492, 530 years, we've always had different ways in which this system has been politically organized, institutionally organized all around the world. And the particular political institutionalization, that's what I'm calling the, the international order, emerged after World War II, in which you had uh, the formation of the United Nations and the formation of the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, all of these international and multinational and transnational institutions which would regulate and set up the rules 
for the post-World War II world capitalist order. And then you had a hegemonic state, a dominant state, which is the United States, overseeing the whole system, of course, intervening around the world, imposing its own will, but in function of reproducing the system of world uh, capitalism. And it's that system, that international system, uh, and for instance, just let me just add, it's not just the international institutions I just mentioned, the, the, you know, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the um, International Bank for, for Settlements, all the different rules which govern the global economy and, and international law and so forth. Um, it, it's not just all of that, it's that we've had throughout the history of world capitalism, and here I don't want to get too academic, but we've always had a hegemonic power. So it was, the original hegemonic power was Spain. It became the hegemonic power in the wake of, and, and, and Portugal, of colonizing the Americas, conquering and colonizing Americas. Then it went to the Dutch. Then it went to Great Britain. Great Britain was the, you know, said the sun never uh, set on its empire. And after World War II, the new great hegemonic power was the United States. That still is the case, but that hegemony is dramatically collapsing right in front of our own eyes. So the, the form of organizing world capitalism, the so-called rules-based system, which the U.S. breaks when, those rules whenever it wants, and all of these institutions, they're all in deep crisis. They're collapsing. There's no mechanisms internationally that can stabilize the global capitalist system. So we spiral into ever deeper and out-of-control crisis with no clear direction about where, um, where, where we're going. So just to give a couple of examples, we have and it, without going into too much technical detail, it's called SWIFT, SWIFT, S-W-I-F-T, it stands for a larger thing, which I'm not going to say, there's no need to, is a system of international payments. So, for instance, a uh, country in Central America, um, uh, Honduras, let's say, um, buys something from Russia or from the United States or from China, and there's international um, digital transactions for the payment of what it's buying. And that goes through the SWIFT system and how you move money around the world. And the SWIFT system is dollar-based, the SWIFT system. Every country in the world has been using it. Uh, if I want to send a wire transfer to a friend of mine, you know, give some, whatever, $500 to a friend of mine in, in, uh, in Germany, I, I do the wire transfer through my bank, it goes through this SWIFT system. So that whole SWIFT system is basically the financial transaction architecture for the whole global economy, which we're all part of. And it is denominated in dollars. That means it gives control to the United States. So this SWIFT system, which sustains all these global financial transactions, is starting to erode now. And so what happened the, with the invasion of Ukraine, now this is not in the book because the book came out before the invasion of Ukraine, but it still is worth making the point here, that the invasion of Ukraine takes place, and then the United States leads the imposition of this economic warfare against Russia, locks Russia out of the global financial system and uh, global markets. And so Russia turns to its own international payments system. It already had one in place, but it starts using it now for its international economic transactions. China has one in place too. And now the two of these alternative systems for international payments come into being. And so that means that now we have a very complex situation where the whole system for international tr financial transaction and payments is collapsing or it's breaking down into multiple centers. So this is what I mean, part of what I mean by the breakdown of the World War II international order. And I'll conclude with this. You might say, someone might say that's a good thing because this was an oppressive uh, international order that allowed the ruling groups to dominate the world since World War II. Absolutely. But the thing is, it signals that we're sliding into a very dangerous period. 
which could threaten much more massive regional or international conflagration than just Ukraine. It means there's a great deal of instability. We're going to have more economic collapses. People's lives everywhere are going to be thrown into further turmoil. Of course, the revolt from below is going to spread even further, that global revolt, and that's going to elicit a greater global response from the ruling classes of repression and control. And into all of that picture in which we're experiencing right now enters um, the ability of those above to control through the new systems of digital technology. So anyway, I know I'm throwing a tremendous amount out here, but this is sort of the big picture of what's going on in the world right now and, um, and, and, and what's happened in the last few years with digitalization and with the pandemic. I think with your book, The Global Police State, William, talks about those in the background if people want to get into it further. But yet this book, The Global, uh, the global uh, Civil War, you talked about the, uh, uh, the, this advanced digitalization of the entire globe and that uh, the, the struggle to break out of the worldwide areas around this process. But then you go into the, the 21st century capitalism is very different from earlier variants of the system to develop yeah. in the previous centuries. And you talked about that uh, in the book. Now, these particular, this variance of the system now is, and now the, we're talking about the 21st century, what's so different about it? And talk about that, please. Sure. Yeah, so this gets into the heart of the book. So one of those, I mentioned at the beginning, there's these four big themes of the book, and this is really the very centerpiece of it, is this digital restructuring of global capitalism and what it means for all of us. So we have this emerging post-pandemic capitalist paradigm. And we are on the brink of a new, major new round of restructuring and transformation in the whole global economy and society and political systems based on a much more advanced digitalization of the entire world. So we've been speaking about globalization for a number of decades. And the first wave of globalization begins in the 1980s, continues up to really the 2008 financial collapse. And that was based on the introduction of computer and information technology and the internet. And that original introduction of computer information technology allowed what I call the transnational capitalist class, the ruling groups, to coordinate and synchronize a a global production system. That is to put into place a globally integrated system of production, finances, and services into which every country in the world has been integrated, often violently. And this globalized system of production, finance, and services driven by computer information technology is controlled by the powerful uh, global corporations and financial conglomerates, that is the transnational capitalist class, and backed by the capitalist states that do their bidding. And during the pandemic, these, the transnational capitalist class and these corporations have uh, been able to dictate the response to the pandemic and vastly heighten their power and control. But let me go back to the digital restructuring, because I mentioned the first original introduction of computer information technology leads to the first wave of globalization. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with William I. Robinson on his brand new book, Global Civil War, capitalism post-pandemic. And now back to the interview. But now we have a second generation of digital-based technologies. And this promises to have even a more profound transformative effect on the uh, impact on the whole world. And this includes technologies coming online just before the pandemic and deeply accelerating during the pandemic and post-pandemic, including artificial intelligence and machine learning, big data, 
meaning the collection, processing, and analysis of immense amounts of data, the Internet of Things, blockchain, automation, and robotization, nano and biotechnology. Of course, they are nano and biotechnology involving big pharma and the medical industrial complex. 3D printing, quantum and cloud computing. All these technologies can't go on normal computing. They have to jump to quantum and cloud computing. Autonomously driven land, air, and sea vehicles. Uh, augmented reality, virtual reality. Um, the 5G network. And the reason 5G network is so important is because it, al it allows all these new digital uh, applications to run, to, they have to run on 5G, on, on 5G. So the first industrial revolution was steam power and mechanization. That goes back to the late 1700s. The second big revolution in the world economy, and a technological grounds that is, was electrical power, which allowed us to have mass production, starting in the 1800s and going into, of course, last century, the 1900s. Then we had, as I mentioned, in the 70s and 80s, coming online the first generation of digital technology and the internet which allowed globalization to be launched and that was the third that's why we call this the fourth industrial revolution based on these new cutting-edge digital technologies and what this means is that virtually every person on the planet is now connected through a single common digital network and what we're seeing is a fusion of these new technologies blurring the lines between physical digital and biological worlds now before I, I go into some detail, I want to go into some detail here on what this means in terms of restructuring, because it means greater control from above, more enhanced global police states, more inequality, more crisis. You might say, why? These are wonderful technologies. They could change, you know, the face of humanity for the better. Absolutely, under a very different social and economic system. So here's the thing. Based on these technologies, the pandemic, the pandemic allowed those that control these technologies to vastly expand the application, their application, and in doing so to accelerate their power. So um, what we see is that the uh, big tech corporations, including pharma and the medical industrial complex, the giant financial conglomerates, and the military industrial complex, they made tremendous use. They're at the cutting edge of developing and, and deploying these new digital technologies. So we have this new nexus of Silicon Valley, Wall Street, Pentagon. And that new nexus is really at the power core of the new post-pandemic capitalist paradigm. That's the very core of it. And so I want to give some data here because it's shocking. And all of this is in, is in the book, the exponential growth, growth of this digital technology. And we were just listening to William Robinson speaking on his brand new book, Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic. It is a $100 thank you item for supporting us here on American Indian Airwaves and supporting KPFK. Again, you can pick up this brand new book by visiting the kpfk.org website and clicking on the donation widget, if you will, and select the book. Or you can call 818-985-KPFK, 818-985-5735. It is a brand new book. It is our thank you item. This is a powerful brand new book. And the centerpiece of this book is a novel analysis of the radical restructuring of transformation of global capitalism 
based on a much more advanced digitalization of the global economy and societies throughout the world and of the social and political struggles breaking out worldwide around this process. And this has only been exacerbated during the last two years of the coronavirus pandemic. And it is insightful, it's powerful, and William Robinson illuminates this process of a greater concentration of political and economic power of the transnational capitalist class and how we are now in a global civil war, capitalism post-pandemic. Again, it's a $100 thank you item. It is brand new. You can pick it up by visiting the kpfk.org website or call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Marcus? Well, Larry, we offer this book, and this is one of the few books that can help the people within the front lines, Native people, people of color, everyday working class person that doesn't get this education, that this is, it just lines it up, talks about the, you know, we always throw this around the transnational capitalist class, talks about that. It talks about also this notion of, of uh, the relationship with uh, the World Health Organization's Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, the U.S. government's Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, and uh, the outgrowth of that and the money-making of that, for one thing, and about how to privatize public health systems in order to open up new opportunities of accumulation by the medical and big pharma industry. So we can see that. It talks about the goes through. It takes you by the hand. and talks about the tech uh, platform and where Amnesty International states in the books warned against global vaccine apartheid using the big pharma profits must not be prioritized over the house of billions. And that means Native people we already discussed within American Airways being one of the only programs that went into the Indian Health Service and talks about the urban and rural crisis that we're in and talking about the this particular state of instability with Native country as well as the media that distorts the picture and is part of this process. Now, this notion of the pandemic uh, made more worldwide left more inequality, more political tensions, more militarism, and more authoritarianism. Now, what does that mean? Well, you got to read the book. What does that mean for us as Native people? Well, you got to read the book. Well, what does it mean for people within, you know, talking about environment? Well, you got to read the book. Well, what about the, we talked about the sums of worlds and megacities. You got to read the book. All this we give you because we want to enlighten you gives you tools, not just, you know, rubbing alcohol or not just, you know, some of the nonsense, um, um, you know, thank you gifts. But this is a tool that we decided, Larry and I, on the American Indian Airways, the programs we produce in order to uplift your understanding and contribute to the understanding of a station, KPFK, the largest broadcast in Southern California. And also, you can always go online, kpfk.org, and listen to our program and other phenomenal programs offered here on KPFK that 
no, you cannot listen to it in no other commercial station. Larry, we're talking about a situation like with after the pandemic, this creation of uh, this global working class. A lot of times people don't know what that means. And that is, we cover the stories of, of Abayal, North Abayal South, and the situation with even, even the, the ouster of Morales and the whole notion of uh, the indigenous people with the politics of Bolivia trying to deal with that situation and the notion of Ecuador and all of South America, the Mapuches, how they got to relate to their own situation and their increasing fight against even the Zapatistas talking about this mega projects that are involved, the transnational capitalist class, that funding and the control of that funding through beyond the nation states, right? Whether it be India, China, or Europe, or United States. This is something that's, that is much like the invasion, Larry, of the 15th, 16th century, 17th century within North America. A lot of nations didn't see the big picture. Now we want to give you, give you the American Indian give you this premium, and, and as a thank you gift of this book, Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic. And then how that fits into our understanding and what the news, commercial news media, what the the political politicians are trying to send you a message of X, Y, and Z. And this book will try to provide you with the tools and understand this political economy of the world in in a very succinct manner, as well as to combat the, the increase in social and political outbreaks around the world, and that means around the world we're talking about around the block too, Larry. We're not talking about just worldwide in the sense of what's going on in India and within China, but what's going on within also in the borders of the United States, that this is an empire that is uh, in question at this point in time, financial crisis since 1980, and about how that is uh, uh, a repeat of the cyclical crisis of capital, yeah. and you got to understand that. And I think people within the treaty, with treaty nations, and within the sovereign nations of indigenous people, need to understand what they're going against in order to make their plans for the future an ongoing plan, not only a struggle but of of the thrivability of the notion of how we will, in a cultural sense, thrive within the crisis that we're facing, and that we make allies. We make connections with the worst, with the rest of the people within the United States, especially around what I said, Abayala South and Abayala North, and how this program, American Indian Airways, with their decades of reporting that information, has provided you, hopefully, with some type of tools and information that you can see what the world is going through. And we're going through a lot, Larry. Let's put it that way. And this book, we won't. We don't just dangle around and saying, "Oh, this is it." We chose it by random. But I think this book helped other people within the front lines to determine this stage of world that we're in, in order to give them happy and a better picture of the world today. So you got to phone this number eight one eight nine eight five fifty seven thirty five. That's eight one eight. 985-5735 or go to kpmk.org and put in, there's a list of stuff, Larry, that you indicated, 
that we offer this as a gift, a $100 gift, if you want to the station in order so we can continue the programming, not only American Airways, but also on KPFK. Larry. Thank you, Marcus. Again, the book is by William Robinson. It's titled The Global Civil War, Capitalism, Post-Pandemic. It is our $100 thank you item. You can pick up the book for $100 and support us here on American Indian Airwaves and KPFK. Again, the phone number is 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or visit the kpfk.org website and click on the pledge widget there and select the Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic. And now we want to play you the second segment of part two of our interview with William Robinson on the Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic. William, before you get into that, because I want to, I want the listeners to understand that, but you talked about the pandemic lockdown services, the dry runs, about this digitalization may allow the dominant groups to step up restructuring time and space to exercise greater control over the global working class. And I think, to me, before you get into the facts and figures, to manifest or to give examples to our listeners about what this really means, I think, to me, it's really important that restructuring time and space, whether it be on reservations, urban areas, rural areas, whether it be north or south, or whether it be in the continent or worldwide, whether it be in India or Indonesia, China, or within Europe, and so on and so forth, that the dominant groups have step up to restructuring time and space. That is so crucial. That is so alarming. And so you can go into the figures now you're talking about, because it's all about how a regular everyday mom and pop and a regular everyday parent or whatever in the community just listen to the discussion about this is going to affect them. This and you mentioned certain things within the book. We can't go through all the all the items within the book. I mean, it's alarming some of the information and facts that you uncover and you share with us. But I thought that was is really pivotal as far as the, the, you talked about the gravitational turn and talk about the political turn and later on the state and so on. But that is so gripping to me. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with William I. Robinson on his brand new book, Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic. And now back to the interview. Yes, absolutely. Well, you, you used a key phrase, the restructuring of time and space. So we had the first wave of this restructuring of time and space from the 1980s to 2008. And that's what globalization was all about. The first generation of the of digital technologies allowed the transnational capitalist class to shift uh, its production and its services, its finance, what it does to the whole world and to relocate places everywhere. Uh, sorry, to relocate, relocate phases of the global economy uh, all around the globe. So industry left the United States. It left, left, left the rich countries and industry sought out cheap labor and, and more controllable labor, whether it was China, whether it was Mexico, uh, whether it's elsewhere in South Asia or wherever it is. I mean, that's one of the big stories of globalization is how capital was able to break free of the nation state. And it did two things when it could break free of the nation state. It could relocate wherever there's the best conditions for maximum 
maximum profit making, uh, whether it's cheap labor, whether it's moving to a country where there's a dictatorship that control, can control trade unions, whether it can relocate to a place where there's no environmental regulations. So capital could move around the world in new ways wherever it wanted to get the best conditions through the first wave of, of digitalization. So that was the first wave of restructuring and time and space. Um, and uh, the second thing that this first wave of restructuring in time and space allowed is to break the backs of the power of the organized working and popular classes. So we know that, for instance, in the United States, you had with all of the problems, you had, an or, a, you had mounting power of the working classes in the United States in the 1960s and 70s as a result of the mass rebellion, uh, rebellions of those, two, uh, of those two decades. And by capital going global, it was able to break the power of trade unions, of working class organizations, and of these popular and mass movements in the United States, or at least try to break that power. Now that power is coming back with the global revolt, which we haven't gotten to yet, the 21st section uh, global revolt. But what happens now is that the new digital technologies coming online since 2008, accelerating during the pandemic, allows for a new wave of restructuring of time and space. And the, the examples here would be endless, but look at it like this. The capital has, uh, the capitalist class, it's, remember, it's underlying objective in restructuring time and space, and everything it does is to maximize profit. Nothing else but maximize profit. Now, how do you maximize profit? The first thing you do to maximize profit is lower wages. And you can lower wages, and already we saw this for the last 40 years, by going to low-wage zones. But you can also lower wages by making many people unemployed and superfluous humanity. And those that still have employment, therefore, have downward pressure on their wages and instability. Uh, and there's another way you can lower wages, by de-skilling the actual tasks which are done so that anyone can fill them and you can dip into a mass of unemployed people. The new technologies allow for a radical restructuring of the work process itself. It allows for a lot of skilled labor to become de-skilled and unskilled because technology takes over. So you can then lower wages or you can make people unemployed. So that's one way that um, this new wave of restructuring is an attack on the global working and popular classes. It means lowered wages and greater inequality. But the other way, and this is really critical, is by raising profit productivity by replacing human beings with technology. And if not fully replacing them, just making their tasks much more simpler because technology takes over and therefore having more control over them and having to pay them less. So we are seeing, but let me give it just an example also. So the pandemic has brought about what we call a remote work revolution. We know that those that could work at home were quarantined and worked at home. That's about 40% of the working population around the world. The other 60% had to either go to work because they're quote unquote essential workers or they didn't have employment anyway. But this is estimated now that 20% of the, of the global population, working population, will stay at remote work even as we leave the pandemic behind us. And so there's this remote work revolution. And what this also means, that this work can be done digitally, is that you can now relocate around the world what was highly skilled labor, which previously wasn't relocated. So I have, for instance, an article in my hand. Of course, we're on the radio. No one can see it. But it's talking about how the Silicon Valley companies, which had extremely, extremely high skilled labor doing their work in, for instance, the centers of technology in the United States, such as Silicon Valley in California and elsewhere, is now... Um, 
is now subcontracting or sending that work abroad through this remote work revolution. And this article is talking about how all of these U.S. tech firms are now paying a fraction of the wages for extremely highly trained programmers, uh, uh, computer programmers and designers and so forth in Latin America. So this is how we're going to see another restructuring in time and space, uh, which enhances the power of the uh, ruling groups. Another example here, again, all these listeners need to do is look at the daily headlines, and every day you can find a number of headlines in this regard. Here's another article that I just picked up just before this interview, just to make the point. And this is talking about how you have, of course, fleets of truck drivers in the United States. You have this global logistics infrastructure. So, so giant, you know, container ships come from China and unload at, right here where I am in LA at the port of ports of um, of Los Angeles and San Pedro uh, in Long Beach. And then they're loaded into trucks and people drive those trucks all over the United States and then unload them at retail and other centers around the United States. Well, now they're introducing these driverless trucks based on this new technology. And the only people there's gonna be is on the unloading, human beings are still gonna unload that stuff into trucks, at least for the time being. The trucks will then be driverlessly, autonomously driven, and this is coming online according to this article in 2024. That's only two years from now. And then when it gets to its destination, human beings unload the trucks and you know stock shelves or whatever it is. So this is, I've just given two examples, but this is uh, all um, over the world. And what does this digital restructuring mean that you're gonna have a vast expansion of surplus humanity, people simply not needed by global capitalism. It's already uh, estimated, I know I'm going into a lot of detail here, but there's just so much to cover, that each new robot introduced into any locale results in a loss of three to 5.6 jobs. And one study here in the United States uh, predicted that 42% of pandemic layoffs will be permanent. Now, again, there's so much to cover, but I know I can't cover it all. So let me just conclude by saying one thing, the fight back and that's the topic of global re revolt, is going on all over the world. Here in the United States, we have the beginnings of a successful union drive in the Amazon warehouses, and of course in Starbucks and elsewhere, because there's, an, there's a heating up of the class struggle and the mass social struggles as we speak. But what does this mean? Amazon, unlike some of the other tech-based companies, which have a small amount of workers and a high amount of capital, because that's the new face of the global digital economy. Small amount of work is high amount of capital. But Amazon was an exception. During the pandemic, because everyone started buying things online and getting them delivered at home, Amazon increased its, its number of workers, and just in the United States, not even worldwide, by 100,000 workers. But now those workers are organizing and they're forming trade unions. And so Amazon, and I would bet my whole weeks or months salary on this, will be accelerating the transition to the new technology to replace a lot of these warehouse workers. They already exist, that technology. Already there's robots being introduced into the Amazon warehouse. Already those workers that are there have these new wristbands, and the wristbands measure you, you, the amount of breaths you take in a minute, the heartbeat you have in a minute. It measures, the wristbands is all digital. It measures your exact hand movement and the speed with which your hand reaches for an item and puts it into the conveyor belt to be sent to someone. So this is just some of the examples of digital restructuring and what it means for us socially and um, and politically and economically. Again, I'm just giving the, a real summarized version. All of the finer details are, are in the book. Yeah, I just wanted to um, kind of extend off of um, 
what you're talking about with Amazon and you were talking about biosurveillance and and the trajectory of replacing warehouse workers, uh, you know, with even more machines because there's already machines in Amazon warehouses, despite the movement for uh, unionization. Talk about how Amazon is one of two major titans as well, vying for U.S. Department of Defense military contracts. But Amazon tracks third-party sellers, oftentimes small independent businesses, and they track um, you know the merchandise that they sell. And if a third-party seller uh, moves a lot of volume of a particular type of unit, then Amazon will recreate that particular unit and sell it in-house, thus eventually displacing those third-party sellers that are uh, oftentimes you know, independent or small businesses. So I was wondering if you could speak to that in the context of digitalization. Yeah, great question. So first, let me say that the very nature of the development of the capitalist system, which is constantly evolving, is that there's an ever greater, what we call technically in political economy, an ever greater concentration and centralization of capital, meaning that the amount of capitalist enterprises constantly decreases because the bigger ones buy out or run out of business, the smaller ones gobble them up and giantly expand. And centralization means that their power is ever more greater. You had a situation during the pandemic where Amazon and I believe the other was Microsoft or Facebook, but the two corporations, two of the leading tech corporations, their capitalization surpassed a trillion dollars. In fact, got to close to two trillion dollars, two trillion dollars. So that's an unbelievable concentration of capital in smaller and smaller hands. So that's always been going on. And so with what digital technologies allow for an intensification in that process, just as you pointed out, it allows the giant conglomerates, which now can control the planet to ever more control bigger shares of the market and run out smaller enterprises or absorb those smaller enterprises. Part of the story of the pandemic in the United States, but again, also worldwide, is that not just it was the way that the groups, that the ruling class from above utilized the pandemic was not just an assault on the global working class. It was also an assault on small businesses. Millions of small businesses went out of business and snatched up by these giant conglomerates. So what we're seeing is, just to summarize then the point, is that this new digitalization combines with what has been taking place during the pandemic means an accelerated concentration and centralization of capital in the United States and worldwide. The moment of silence is over. And that's the final segment of part two of our three-part interview with Dr. William Robinson on his brand new book, The Global Civil War, Capitalism Post-Pandemic. Tune in next week for the final part of this interview. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to Dr. William Robinson. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Corey Smith. Until next time. Silence is over. And for the innocent, you can't justify why your freedom manifests on their graves. And the
Blood never comes clean from the guilty minds Nor the hands that hold the chains Must be 